Welcome to Up an Octave, a podcast by Sonivia. I'm your host, Ruth Spence, founder of Sonivia, the podcast management agency that helps women and non-binary people take up space in podcasting. Up an Octave is here to support you in your podcasting journey, from how to market yourself, how to sound great, how to edit for your specific voice, and how to make your podcast feel like magic. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Up an Octave. Today I am talking about soundproofing your space, including my very humble beginnings where I literally recorded into a cardboard box. If soundproofing has been something that you've been struggling with and you're still getting a lot of echo or room tone or whatever the case may be, this episode is hopefully going to humble me and help you identify ways that you can make your recording setup a little bit more soundproofed. So when I started my first show in 2020, I was living overseas in Germany. That's where my husband was stationed with the army. And I was really seeking a way to stay connected with a friend back home. It was the pandemic. We had ample free time and we were able to kind of focus on some creative passions. I did as much research as I possibly could. And I kept seeing over and over and over to record in a closet. And now that I'm a professional myself, this is still the advice that I give time and time again. Recording in a closet is a wonderful home studio option. The thing is, Germany doesn't really believe in closets, or at least the apartments near me and the one that I lived in did not. The closest I had was like a Narnia Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe situation, which I could not have fit into to record. So I had to pivot. And the walls are also all plaster and hardwood, and everything just really bounces. So I got to thinking about the concept of recording in the closet, and I was like, well, it makes the space smaller. It's padded with textiles. I think I can make something work. Prior to the pandemic shutting everything down, I was really, really involved with community theater, and we were building sets, and part of that was we had this huge box that we were going to be using as a set piece. It was like a refrigerator box or like a freight shipping box. Anyway, when everything shut down, I happened to have that in my office because I was going to be working on the set piece. So I had a huge box at my disposal and no closet. I was like, maybe I can make something out of this. So I actually fashioned that into my first recording studio. Basically, I padded it with quilts and stuffed pillows and a yoga mat inside it, and just kind of hoped for the best. So I'm going to actually play a clip of that show and let you hear what that sounded like. Because I mean, now, obviously, I can Google and find whatever, wherever. But for those stories to originate uniquely and have such commonality is so cool to me. So I'm, I'm really interested in going more into this topic um, in order to give every region kind of its due. Yeah, so it kind of sounds like it was recorded into a cardboard box. It's not great. Uh, Those early episodes really make me cringe. The other factor is that I was also recording into a really shoddy video gaming headset microphone that it wasn't even an integrated mic. It was the kind that like plugs in and out of the headset. 
So I would have had way different results if I recorded into even a Yeti. But knowing what I did with what I had, remembering that this was in the heart of the pandemic, our show started in May of 2020, I was really working on the fly with what I had, especially because we were overseas. So shipping already took a really long time. But then on top of that, with all of the disruptions in the supply chain that were happening in 2020, it was going to take a really, really, really long time for me to get any different tech. So I was just flying by the seat of my pants and going with what I had. There are some things that I think worked really well with that setup, at least conceptually. So the idea of making my space smaller is one that I'm a really big champion of even to this day. And that's kind of the idea of recording in a closet, is making your space smaller so that you can control it and so that the sound waves don't have quite as much room to ping pong around in. The other thing that worked really well was padding it with pillows and using the yoga mat. All of those softer textures conceptually did help to muffle the sound. It helped to absorb some of the sound waves so that they weren't just bouncing all around. The things that didn't work quite so well were that cardboard is still a relatively hard surface, and it was also hotter than the dickens in there. Germany doesn't really have AC at all, and cramming myself, being nervous to be on mic for the first couple of times, and having a laptop in there working pretty hard meant that that thing got hot. And because my laptop got hot, it had the fan on most of the time. The things that I would consider about your setup is it's great to turn off your HVAC system, but the likelihood is that when your HVAC kicks on, it's not going to be as loud as your laptop or computer fan. So if turning off your air conditioning while you record is going to make your space so hot that your laptop has to overcompensate to keep cool, play around with how that works to see which devil you know or devil you don't is better. So I knew it was time to upgrade. This is also something that I still champion is not investing a whole heck of a lot of money up front. If you don't know that you're that committed to podcasting or you want to see if you can make money with your podcast before investing a lot, I like gauging your level of commitment by starting. I do recommend you start with some tech more than a video gaming headset for sure but you don't have to pour buckets of money into creating a sound booth. Once I knew that I really had the podcasting bug, I took that summer as things opened up a little bit more to upgrade and I built a studio. Mostly because your girl is way too old to be laying on the floor in a cardboard box recording, I needed something that I could at least get a chair into. So that's exactly what I did. I built a podcast studio. Let's take a listen. Uh, She was also in high school, a part of the cross country and track and field teams, but stopped running after high school. The caveats that I'll still add here are that I was recording in Zoom and I was recording with like at this point a $30 condenser microphone. So knowing now what I know, I would definitely use a different microphone and I would be recording in a different cloud recorder. How did I build this podcast studio? I used furring strips to create a skeleton of basically this closet shape. I was essentially making my own closet. And then I basically drywalled the skeleton with the furring strips with some of the cardboard from the OG cardboard box. And then inside, 
I layered mattress topper foam, which still has that kind of egg carton shape to it that we see in acoustic panels and treatments. And then over the top of the foam, I hung really heavy, thick blackout curtains. Now, the things that worked really well with this were that, A, I could sit down in a chair. That was clutch. It also, I put a light in there because my cardboard box, the only light I had was my computer. So having a little bit more space made it a little bit more comfortable. I was also able to sit up and use better diaphragmatic posture. So your recording etiquette changes depending on how you're sitting and being able to sit up tall instead of awkwardly crunched into a box definitely helped my voice be more resonant. The conceptual things that really worked were using the mattress topper. I would advise that again to this day and using heavy blackout curtains. So if you're trying to make your area smaller, if you don't have a closet that works to record in, hanging some heavy drapes to kind of partition out a space for yourself, almost like an ER room, that would be a great way to bring your space a little bit smaller. The things that didn't work were, again, I was trying to outpace my technology. I thought that if I could fix the space, I'd get a lot more out of the microphone I was using than that microphone had to give. And that's honestly the place that if I was starting over, I would have invested more there. I would have used a better microphone from the jump and then tailored my space to that microphone. Again, because it was an enclosed space with a hot laptop and a hot me, it got really toasty in there. And so there was still the laptop fan sound, but generally it got a lot better. That was the final recording space I used for that show. And so where we lived in Germany was actually about a mile away from the military base where my husband was stationed. So you could hear everything. There was constant artillery testing of like explosions and gunfire and bombs or whatever. I, I am obviously not the one in the military. And you could hear helicopters overhead, you could hear shouting, all sorts of military noises. So we would constantly have to stop for explosions. And no amount of soundproofing short of creating like a you Joe box is really going to eliminate those things. So if you have incredibly extenuating circumstances, like if you live right under the L train, you're still going to have to hold for those sounds. There's really no amount of home studio soundproofing that's going to completely eliminate those things, but there are little tweaks that you can make. So what's working for me today? I've upgraded my microphone significantly. The difference between a $30 microphone, a gaming headset, and the Rode pod mic that I'm using now is a huge chasm. I really like this microphone. It works for me really, really well, and I think it sounds great in my space. The other things that I'm doing differently are that I have an isolation shield around it. This is a relatively new development, as you've heard on the show, and I've been super, super thrilled with how it has changed my sound. Because of the type of space I'm in, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to apply acoustic paneling and some of the other adjustments that I recommend. I also don't want to go through the labor of doing those things, the cost, and we're about to move. So I'm going to have to totally restart my studio setup in a brand new house that I haven't seen yet. So stay tuned for that one. The isolation shield is working great for me. The other great thing is having air conditioning. When it's super hot here in South Carolina, I haven't had to worry about my computer overheating while I'm trying to record. 
And that has been one of the biggest wins of all. So the suggestions that I would make for your soundproofing solutions would be consider what you have. If you have the option to record in a closet, that is fantastic. That continues to be one of my recommendations for recording if you are on a budget and want to get started ASAP. There are circumstances where I think acoustic panels can be worth it. They are one of the most pricey investments you can make. As I mentioned earlier, I think that there's a lot more value in investing in your microphone and working to make it sound its best. I think isolation boxes or shields are a lot better for most folk than trying to use acoustic panels, which to do that throughout your entire room, to get to a place where they're making a big difference, you are going to be investing likely thousands of dollars. And the end result is really not going to be a whole heck of a lot different from just using the isolation shield that I'm using right now that I think set me back 30 bucks, maybe. So I would recommend getting a microphone that really works well in your space, addressing it correctly. So that means talking into the appropriate part of it that is geared to pick up your voice, using a cardioid setting on your microphone or a cardioid microphone in general. This is going to be where the pickup pattern is pointed towards your mouth. So it's not going to pick up the entire room as much as it's just going to pick up what it's pointing at. And this is another place where I'm going to consider the different models of podcasting. If you are just a fun podcast, which is kind of what my first podcast started out as, we later kind of gravitated more towards a fandom podcast. But when we were just there to have fun and catch up with each other, I wouldn't have done anything too much differently. Like I said, I probably would have dropped 50 bucks on a better microphone from the first episode if the supply chain had permitted that. But I wouldn't have invested a whole heck of a lot into soundproofing just for a fun podcast, and I don't advise that you do either. If you really want to make a high-quality sounding podcast, if you're doing webinar-type education, continuing education units, something like that, or even a funnel podcast where you really need to sound like an authority on a topic, that's somewhere that I see some value in spending a little bit of money on your soundproofing. Your situation is going to be different than mine, than the next podcaster. So play around with what's the most economical to meet your goals. I've really become an evangelist for the isolation shield, though. I know that there are home sound booths that like are pop-up tents that are available on Amazon. I have a few thoughts on whether those could be worth it or not. I think that if you are doing audiobook narration or something that's more performative than a podcast, those can be great because they basically you have to stand up in it because of the dimensions. They're like a little changing station, essentially. And I think when you can have better diaphragmatic posture, that would be some value. I don't think that those home studios are the best solution for most podcasters. Because you have to stand up, because there's not a lot of room in there, they're really geared towards just you and a microphone. If you're wanting to have your computer to look at notes or whatever that setup is for you, have a drink next to you, those kind of things, I don't think that those offer as many of the amenities as I like to have at my disposal when I'm podcasting. If you're leaning more towards performance, if you're a narrative fiction podcast, that might be an excellent solution for you. 
narrative fiction podcasts also have much higher audio quality expectations. Because if you're a bard in the 1500s D&D space, it's going to be really disjointing to hear a car or a train going off in the background. You really want to just have your voice resonating so that you're able to then layer in your sound effects and your music, all of that. So I could see audiobook narration, narrative fiction podcasts, those kind of shows are probably great candidates for those little pop-up studios. They are not cheap, though. They average like $500. So for most folk, I would rather see you invest that $500 into A, a better mic. That will get you, honestly, that could get you like an SM7B by Sure, which is kind of becoming the industry standard. It's not necessarily my favorite just because of the high price tag. I think that there are other serviceable microphones for half the price, i.e. the one that I'm speaking into right now. But I would much rather see that investment going into your microphone, your headphones, learning more about how to make your podcast successful than just on one vocal booth. That just does not seem like a wise use of your funds to me. There's also a ton of value in just muting yourself. If you are an interview-based podcast, whether while you're recording or in post-production, just muting your microphone, you can do that on your cloud recorder or you can do that oftentimes on your microphone itself or you can buy like a cough button or a mute button. Those are options that I'm a really big fan of so that if you do have a lot of ambient noise, it's not going to cut into the other person who's speaking and kind of create that burbly sound that you'll sometimes hear on a podcast that was cloud recorded. So that is another tip that is a free 99 unless you are investing in like a cough button so that you have absolutely none of that sound bleed. Oh, I'm just sliding in to tell you about my 12-week content planner for podcasts. If you are starting to think about the holiday season and what that's going to look like for your podcast, you're not going to want to miss out on this free resource that I have created to help you holiday-proof your podcast. In general, I recommend having at least 12 weeks of content planned, if not recorded, at all times. This helps you dodge pod fade and keep your message resonating loud and clear while saving you stress and headaches and last minute panic. To download this free resource, check for the link in my show notes. All right, back to the good stuff. All right, so today's question comes from Rachel at Life in the New Normal. And Rachel asks, is there an LGBT podcast network? I love questions about networks. I did some research and the only thing that I could find was the Gabers Agency. That's G-A-Y-B-O-R Agency. They do have a podcast network, but in general, they are quite a large platform. According to their website, which is gabersagency.com, they have affiliate and gifting campaigns, an artist network, campaign and creative services, casting calls, a creator network, DEI training, Gaber's Fund, Gaber Services, Gaber's Studios, podcast network, media planning and buying, pride planning and production, reporting and payments, sponsors opportunities, and the stay program. So they're not devoted to just being a podcast network, but that is absolutely one of the services that the platform provides. 
They have where you can join their marketplace as an LGBTQ plus creator, but you do have to meet the following requirements. And for podcasts, that's having over 200 downloads per episode on average. So that's a little bit of a murky definition, but they represent shows like One for the Table, Busy Boys Uncensored, Cruising, Famous This Week with Priyanka, Lesbian Honest. The only other thing that I could really find as being somewhat active, and this comes from Radio Online, as of March 8th, 2023, iHeart Media launches Outspoken, a new podcast network distributed by iHeart Podcasts that will amplify, elevate, and reflect the diversity and humanity of the voices throughout the LGBT community. Announced in advance of the podcast movement's evolutions in Las Vegas, Outspoken will feature programming from talent including Rosie O'Donnell, Lance Bass, Laverne Cox, Bowen Yang, Matt Rogers, Alex Mappa, Bridget Todd, and more of iHeart Podcasts' favorite hosts. So it seems like the Outspoken Podcast Network is a facet of iHeart Media, but it doesn't seem to be appealing to indie podcasts in quite the same way as Gabers does, but that could be somewhere for you to look. This definitely has highlighted a need for me where I'm seeing that there isn't really a service that is providing that type of support. So if that sounds like something you're interested in taking up the mantle on, I would love to hear about the work that you're doing. But Rachel, I I hope that this is helpful and that maybe Gabers could be a great network home for you and for your show. I will be including the link to Rachel's show in the show notes, so make sure and check it out there. That is all for today. I will be back next week with another Pass the Mic episode. This time I interview JJ Flazanes, who is the host of Spirit, Purpose, and Energy, among other shows. So make sure you check that out. In the meantime, you can follow me over on Instagram at Sonivia Studios, where I'm going to be posting images of my very humble beginnings with the cardboard box and my DIY podcast studio. So if you want to come and share a chuckle, make sure you're headed over to Instagram. Leave a rating or review wherever you're listening, because just like your show, mine needs those to grow. And make sure to share this with a podcaster who is struggling with some soundproofing. I'll see you next week. Thank you for helping me take podcasting up an octave. (laughs) 